of Jesus. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, for being in this place this morning. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. We declare, hallelujah, with your name, hallelujah, we have salvation. We have peace, oh Lord God, hallelujah. We have strength in your name, hallelujah. We have deliverance in your name, hallelujah. We worship you, hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do this morning, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, we worship you, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for what you have done, hallelujah, on the cross of Calvary, O oh Lord God. But Lord, you changed our destinies, hallelujah. You changed our destinies, Father God, hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, hallelujah, for what you have done, hallelujah. Lord, hallelujah, this morning, hallelujah, as we're gathered here, Father God, may you continue to work in our hearts, Father God. Prepare our hearts to receive the word of God, hallelujah. Lord, help us to receive the word of God and apply it to our lives, Father God. Without your word in us, Father God, we can't make it, Father God. Hallelujah. We need you as the anchor, oh Lord God. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can all be seated. Thank you, choir, for leading us into such a powerful time of worship, Father God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This morning, for our short meditation, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 6, verses 39 to 49. And I'm going to just read it out for you. <clears throat> and he spoke a parable to them. Can a blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not perceive the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from the bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears the saying and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood rose and the stream beat vehemently against that house, it could not shake it for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built his house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Praise God. This morning, I just want to 
go through this, the background of Luke chapter 6. Jesus starts answering the challenges of the religious leaders and questioning their understanding of scripture to reveal to them the spiritual truths that they missed. Next, the disciples were selected and he starts to teach them the rules and the principles of the kingdom of God. Jesus starts with the Beatitudes and then goes into specific teachings which were contrary to people's normative understandings. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This was completely different from what was practiced by Israel. They fought with their enemies and defended their land. They hated being under the Roman authority. The scribes and the Pharisees practiced love your neighbor and hate your enemy. They got love your neighbor from Leviticus 19 verse 18 which says to love your neighbor. But they omitted God's word which tells us as the people of God that we should love our enemies by providing food for them as written in Proverbs 25 verse 21. Do unto others as you would want, to, want them to do unto you was something that was taught in the negative version. Whatever is hateful to you or yourself, do not do to others. That was the golden rule that they taught. But Jesus turns it into the positive. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Lend and do not expect to receive anything back. Because God himself blesses the wicked and gives mercy to those who are ungrateful and do not even believe in him. These teachings were surprisingly different from what was taught by the religious leaders at that time. The religious leaders looked at the past and how Israel fell far from God's grace. And looked to scripture to live strictly by the book. And to live strictly by the book they added rules so that they could not break the laws of God. As Paul writes, they tried to obtain righteousness by works, by doing good, and not by faith. The Pharisees looked for the day when Messiah would come so they could take back their land and kingdom. Jesus didn't speak like a king who sought to divide and conquer. He did not share the secrets of warfare or the strategies that could conquer the enemy and the end the oppression of the people of Israel. These teachings were spiritual truths to change the heart of man the kingdom secrets of how the children of God were to conduct themselves. After he teaches these principles, he drives home the truths with the following parables, which I categorized into three things. The blind leading the blind, see right. The tree and its fruit do right or produce right. And building on the rock, build right. See right. So verse 39, he spoke to them parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both, both fall into the ditch? This is an amusing question that Jesus asks his disciples. He answers the question with a question. Won't they both fall into the ditch? What was Jesus' kernel of truth that he wanted to point out? None of the disciples were blind. They had seen him heal the blind. So why this question? Jesus points out the difficulty of being blind. One who is blind does not know the direction of travel or the immediate dangers ahead. The key word we must pay attention to is lead. One cannot lead if they themselves do not know where they are going. Jesus teaching his disciples that their spiritual eyes and their spiritual knowledge need to be open because one day they will be leaders of the church. In Matthew 15 verse 14, Jesus dismisses the Pharisees as blind leaders leading the blind. There's something called 
knowledge blindness, which is best defined as not knowing the details or complexity of a subject matter that you haven't been formally trained in. I, as an engineer, cannot prescribe medicine. I don't know anything about medicine. I'm not formally trained in medicine. So I am knowledge blind in the area of medicine. And a doctor could not tell some, an engineer how to build a bridge because he hasn't been formally trained. So it's knowledge blindness. But Jesus doesn't leave his disciples knowledge blind. He teaches them the principles of the kingdom and he's telling them that their eyes are being opened. Their spiritual eyes and the understanding of God's kingdom is being revealed. Jesus isn't telling disciples to merely follow rules, but the spiritual principles behind those rules. Now there's three types of blindness. There's complete blindness where you do not, you cannot see anything at all. There's something called legally blind, which means your eyesight is severely limited. You can see about maybe 20 feet in front of you and you can't see anything to the side. And then there's something called color blindness where you cannot see the color or discern between red and green. Green looks like red, red looks like green, or you can't tell the difference between them both. In the same manner, there's also different degrees of spiritual blindness. Some don't know anything about the Christian faith. Those who are unbelievers, they don't know anything about the Christian faith. Some call themselves Christians for namesake because they don't know the truths of this faith. Some know the word a bit but, and understand some parts of their faith, but have an incorrect perception of God's word. They understand aspects of the faith and can see truth, but is missing the vibrancy of faith. One cannot appreciate the beauty of something without seeing how God created it and how he established it. The statement which also arises, the statement also arises a question for us. Are we spiritually blind in some manner? Are we sure we are saved? Are we adhering to the tenets of this faith? Is there spiritual blind spots we have not identified? And are we making dangerous choices without having a complete understanding of what God's will is for our life? Christ makes this funny statement not just for a chuckle, but he wants his disciples to do an introspection of their blindness. Is the same applicable to us? Do we know where we're going? Do we understand the deep truths of our faith? In Luke chapter 24, verse 45, after the resurrection, Jesus opens their understanding to comprehend the scriptures. It must be our prayer as well. Lord, open my understanding so that I may comprehend the scriptures, so that the word will do a deeper work within us. The disciple is not above his teacher, verse 40, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Jesus' expectation of his disciples is to be like him, to emulate his life and continue teaching others what he taught, to carry out his commands. Jesus wants us as his disciples to know him and his heart deeply. We can never be more compassionate, more loving, more gracious, more merciful, or more understanding than our Lord Jesus. Our aim is to be like Jesus, the perfect teacher. Christ is the standard and the parameter we are to meet. We cannot exceed who he is, otherwise we'll be outside his standard and in sin. I've mentioned this before and I'll say again. Many churches are trying to incorporate teachings that are not in line with the word of God. They've surrendered to the LGBTQ ideology. Other churches have surrendered to interfaith and interfa uh, interfaith worship and interfaith marriages. I heard one preacher say this. 
Most people nowadays want to practice the 11th commandment, thou shalt be nice. Saying anything that is against these philosophies, teachings, or trying to say this compromise is not agree with scripture, it's taken as offensive. Offering correction is taken as offensive. We cannot agree, compromise, or give way to something that Christ himself has not said or which goes directly against what is taught in scripture, which is his revealed will. We are in training, constantly training. We will never attain the perfection in this life that our Lord was and is. But to walk with him, we become more like him. To learn to overcome the challenges of this world as he has overcome. Verse 41 and 42. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove that speck in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye. Then you will see clearer to remove the speck. Jesus asks another amusing question, and it's a hyperbole. It's like, how, do you, how are you not self-aware? The question that Jesus asks can easily be misinterpreted. It's not about judging others. It's not what Jesus is saying. This isn't about passing judgment, but it is rather being aware of ourselves. Jesus does not tell us not to help our brother. If we see our fellow brother and sister deviating from sound doctrine, struggling in their faith, it is our responsibility to gently and graciously, but firmly, bring them back. Jesus is highlighting that to minister to anyone, we must have the first the self-awareness and humility to see where we are deficient, to address our deficiencies, and having understood that we are imperfect and need his grace, having that self-awareness to be able to minister to those who are deviating from sound doctrine. These two amusing questions that Jesus asks sandwiches his statement. We can only be like him. He, doesn't, he wants to us to have the spiritual clarity and vision of who we are, where we're going, and what we're becoming. We also need to be able to see those around us, to minister to those who know nothing about God and to those who are struggling in their faith. My second point, do right. A tree is known by its fruit. A good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. What is a good fruit-bearing tree? And what is a bad fruit-bearing tree? One, a good fruit-bearing tree is one that produces fruit that can be consumed. It is how God intended and designed that tree to produce. The fall of man has created bad fruit-bearing trees as well. What is a bad fruit-bearing tree? One that's infected. I looked this up. There are many trees. There's orange trees, there's apple trees, all sorts of trees. But ones that have infection in them, specifically fungal infection in them, they only produce bad fruit. It's called white rot or black rot. You can look it up. It's, uh, it's interesting to see that. The only way to repair that tree is to prune it. You have to prune the branches that are infected with the fungus to curtail it so that it starts producing good fruit again. In the same manner, we are to produce good fruit. The fruit of the tree is the very best thing that the tree can offer. It is producing something that it was designed to make. Every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from 
thorns or grapes from a bramble bush. Every tree is known by its fruit. An apple produ tree produces apples. You don't get oranges from an apple tree. Christ expects us as his disciples to produce spiritually. If we are his disciples, our spiritual fruits must be evident. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Without the Spirit of God working in us, we are the same as those infected trees producing inedible fruit, infected with sin, the nature which is contrary to what God wants for us. Verse 45. A good man out of the treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance the heart speaks. What are we treasuring in our hearts? Are we treasuring his words? Are we treasuring his promises? Christ reminds his disciples and his teachings should be treasured in their hearts so that they can produce good. If we treasure up what the world has to offer, lust, immorality, it will only bring forth evil. If we treasure up malice, jealousy, envy, strife, unforgiveness, anger, then what only comes out is evil. Paul reminds us in Philippines 4 verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, think whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. All those adjectives describe Jesus, his words, his promises, and the completed work on the cross. Jesus further gives insight into how we are to know if someone is treasuring his word or if something else is being treasured in that person. Listen carefully to how he speaks. One can tell who is a genuine disciple of God by what he or she says. If they are not speaking the truth of God, exclaiming his promises, rejoicing in the truth of the gospel, then that person isn't a disciple of God. The third point, build right. Build on the rock. Verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Jesus asked his disciples, why are you calling me Lord? If you're not, if you're failing to follow my commands and teachings, how can I be your Lord? If we are his disciples, our reverence to him is shown by our actions when we obey his word, when we trust his word, when we bank on his promises. A king who is ignored or not respected or revered is not, if we are, a king who is ignored is not respected or revered. We are to do what he calls us to do. Matthew 17, verse 12. Not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Jesus was speaking to his disciples saying, Why, when you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say, you're, you're not my disciples. You can be in the church, you can do a lot of things, but if you are not connected to God, following his commands, being careful to know what his commands are, you're not going to make it. In that verse, it also says, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do great miracles in your name? Jesus says, depart from me, you evildoers, men of lawlessness, people who ignore the word of God. It is hard to do what Christ asks us to do. It is not easy to love our enemy or pray for those who, are, who wish ill will upon you, to those who want to abuse you or are prejudiced toward you. But this is the same way 
that Christ was treated. But he who did not retaliate sets us an example that we are to have his nature because those who fight against us do not know what they are doing either. Verse 47 and 48. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock. And when the floods arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house, it could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. Jesus shares with his disciples what it means to pe people who only, not only hear the word, but follows through and puts them into practice. A man building a house needs a vision. He needs to produce. He draws up plans. He gets resources together and starts building. He digs deep until he gets to that bedrock. It takes effort and time to build. There are days that are hot. There are days that are wet. But the man who has the right vision and produces will work through the difficulties that he faces. And he, when he gets to that rock, he'll be able to lay the foundation for his house. And from the foundation, he builds upward until that house is complete. When the storms and heavy rain come, the house is anchored on the rock. It doesn't move. We are constantly building our lives. When we choose our marriage partners, when we choose our careers and vocations, when we raise up the next generation, when we serve God, we must be anchored to Jesus, our rock. Without the sure foundation of Jesus, his teachings, his words, his promises, his love, his grace, will be building something that will not last. But he heard and did nothing is like a man who built his house on the earth without a foundation. And when the stream beat vehemently, it immediately fell, and the ruin of that house was great. The man who ignores the foundational teachings of Christ, one who says to them, I know better, I know what is best, he is also building a house. But he takes the shortcuts. He doesn't bother to do the work. He ignores sound doctrine. He ignores hard choices. He doesn't have the vision of longevity. His vision is short-term gratification. His product isn't made well. And the time it is done, and it's being done for the sake of getting it done. When the storms of life come, it wipes out everything. You know, Pastor was sharing the life of Daniel. Daniel went through so many different regime changes, right? He was under he was in Israel, and then he moved to Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, and then under Belshazzar, and then under King Cyrus. Regardless of the kingdom that he was serving, he was anchored to God. He had his principles right. He had his life right. So regardless of what came, he was, he was grounded. He was found faithful in the things of God. We are to build lives in such manner. When Noah... I was thinking about this this morning. Noah built that ark. 600 years it took him. All his brothers and sisters must have been watching him. He had brothers and sisters. But none of them got onto that ark. He was anchored to God when God told him, build the ark because a flood is coming. He followed the instructions. God gave him a plan. He told him the exact dimensions of that ark. He told him, Build this ark according to these dimensions. And he did it according to those specifications. He did not deviate. 
He built that ark. He took his time, his resources, and he built that ark. And only eight people of all the population of earth got into that boat. When the storms come, isn't the time to build. The time to build is now. When the storms come, it's too late. When the floods arise, it's too late. Can you imagine when the canopies of heaven opened up, where were the people looking? They were looking to a boat that was sealed. God shut the door of the ark. God himself shut that door. There was no other hope. When we have the hope, when we have the time right now is when we need to get our lives right. Make sure that we're anchored to Jesus. Amen. God calls us to build lives that bring him glory, honor, and praise. Lives that reflect his nature and character. Lives built on the principles of God's word are meant to last. When others, and when it's tested, others are bound to fall. In conclusion, let us take heart what Jesus Christ is teaching us. One, see right. Let us do an introspection to see if there's any spiritual blind spots in our lives. We are to lead our families, our children, in a way, so we are to lead our families, our children. To do so, we must have the spiritual insights of God's word so that we live and follow within his parameters that he has set. Let us do right. To produce as Christ has called us to do is not from just natural giftings and talents, but as children of God, we are to produce those fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Let us build right, build our lives on the rock of our salvation so that the, when the storms come, the difficulties, the persecutions of life arise, we're able to travail through it. Storms don't come every day, but they will come and we must be prepared. May God bless you.